Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's the Philosopher's Stone podcast. Your favorite. Your favorite one. So, you could be happy about that. Right, Sam? Oh, yeah. That's definitely something to be happy about. Hearing your favorite podcast. Would you say this is your favorite podcast? Um, I don't like to play favorites, really. I don't think that's the right way to go about appreciating art, you know? <laughs> wow. I think it's better to enjoy everything on its merits. And find the unique quality in everything. That's what I say. You fucking pussy liberal. <laughs> <laughs> You're what's wrong with this country, goddammit. <laughs> Just kidding. Just a little topical reference there. We uh, Did you vote yesterday, Sam? This will be... Uh, I did vote. I, d- I did vote. I voted. I did too. I did vote. And you know what's weird is that all this hubbaloo, hubbaloo about advanced polling and you got to do the advanced polls or you're going to wait in line on election day and you're going to regret it, blah, blah, blah. Well, I went down on election day and I was literally the only one in there. <laughs> I'm starting to think that it wasn't even a, <laughs> it wasn't even for the federal election. I must have stumbled in on some local, <laughs> local uh, council meeting or some shit. <laughs> The bingo committee. Because I was the only one in there uh, voting. So I don't know what that's all about. And it was all for, it was all apparently seems like a giant waste of time since we ended up exactly back where we were by the sounds of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much nothing changed. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, thanks. You dummy. God, he's so annoying. (sighs) Yeah, I voted for the Green Party. Did you? Yeah. My strategy is, is that if enough people vote for the Green Party, they'll never get power. But if enough people vote for them, yeah, it will show whoever is in power that if they focus more on the environment, then they can get some of those green votes. Oh, I see. You get it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I voted liberal, but just barely. I don't like Justin Trudeau, but I don't like the other parties either. So, you know. Mm. A negative vote. Yeah. Anyone but the others. Well, I I wasn't like super against uh, this O'Toole character. He seemed like he had a, you know, he seemed like a more rational person than the last conservative dude, but. Yeah, they, they just put that face on and then. Yeah. Behind closed doors. I don't know. I hate to, I would hate to have, I I don't want to fall into the, I'm voting this way every single time for the rest of my life. Like a lot of people do. I am always open to change. No, no, no. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Always open to change. Uh, I just, I just, as long as I, I mean, uh, I don't, this isn't a political podcast, so I don't want to get into it, but uh, I'm not (laughs) the most informed person anyway. So, you know. It would be unwise for me to start talking shit about anything. So let's just avoid it. Well, I'm I'm not informed either. I'm not informed either. Like I, I was waiting in line. I didn't even know who the candidates were. <laughs> I just had my I just had my strategy. <laughs> you just need a strategy. You don't actually need to know any. Right. The PPC got more votes than the Green Party, didn't they? Yeah, I think they got eight hundred thousand votes. <laughs> and they don't even give a they don't give a single shit about the environment. <laughs> No, no, God, no. The new party did better than the Green Party. The one that doesn't give a fuck about the world. Yeah, it's depressing. Yeah. But I mean, the liberals still care about the environment a little bit, so whatever. Yeah, 
They do. They they uh, a little bit more than the conservatives. Although I heard the NDP has a way better climate change action plan. So oh, there, there you go. I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, it's all so depressing. It's like, why would you? Why would we have an election at this point in time? It's just so dumb. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Anyways, I didn't come here to talk about that, Sam. I came here to talk about what you have been doing the last week. Oh, well, I have had quite the day, let me tell you. Tell me. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so I went for a, uh, I did my 9K run. It was a very tough run. Holy shit. That's crazy that you can run that far. Yeah. A- anyways, it's not, yeah, it's not that crazy. Like, lots of people can do that if they put their mind to it. Even you could you could do that. If- I didn't say it's crazy that people can do it. I said it's crazy that you can do it. Oh, that was a cloaked <laughs> insult. Okay, I get it. <laughs> anyway, so I finished this run, this big loop, get back to the apartment building, and I realized that there's a, a hole in my pocket and my keys have fallen through the hole somewhere on this 9K loop. Oh. Uh. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Somewhere on that route, it only took you how long before you can do it again? I think it was like 40, 44 minutes, 45 minutes or so of running. Crazy. So I retraced the route walking. It took me like two hours. Didn't find the keys, of course. Oh, <laughs> this happened today? This, this just happened. Oh. And then so after this happened, I uh, said, okay, whatever. I'm just going to go get some, eat some of my favorite Dave's hot chicken. By the way. Drake is now invested in Dave's Hot Chicken. So, uh, what can I say? I have good taste. Uh, Drake <laughs> fucking sucks. Have I talked about this on the podcast? Because if I haven't, Drake's the worst, okay? Don't ever give him your money. Don't listen to his music. He's a bad man. I don't care if he's Canadian. Yeah, so I, I can say that Drake did not come up rough. He, in fact, went to the same high school as my girlfriend, which was a high school for kids who have so many opportunities that they don't have time for classes. <laughs> Um, but anyway dude no one if drake ever tried to claim he came up rough the thing about drake that i find kind of funny especially now nowadays is that he like made a lot of money impersonating a physically handicapped person on tv for years that's where he got his money to launch his rap career yeah that was yeah he was on that show yeah so how come no one's getting on his case for pretending to be handicapped for that long? They could have cast a real handicapped person. Because it's, it's acting. It's acting. He wasn't fraudulently presenting himself as like a handicapped person in public to get benefits. It was acting. Yeah, but nowadays people get mad at you for, they're like, well, that, that role could have gone to an actual person in a wheelchair. I'm not saying it makes uh, sense, but I'm saying why is he safe from the fucking delusional mob? That's a good point. That's a good point. That is a good point. Whatever. Fuck him and his eyebrows. Hate him. <laughs> anyway, so I so I ordered this chicken. I get my I get the two tender combo. One Reaper, one hot, so it's like perfect for me. Wait, what? You, what what when what reburnt? Reaper? Carolina Reaper. Oh Reaper. Oh. Pretty spicy. So I get so I'm waiting in line. So I get I go into the store and uh there's this guy like yelling at the staff, <laughs> like some very like well dressed older white guy like I don't understand how you could give my order to them when I was standing right here. Yeah, and uh, I was like, oh, this guy's an asshole. Yeah. So eventually he leaves, and I'm like, okay, I, I, and so I come up and I'm like, I ordered a chicken uh, online order. I'm just here for pickup, and I'm like, my name's Sam, and I show them like my order number, and they say, oh, okay, yeah, it's still being prepared, 
And I can see there's a box on the rack for curbside pickup. And I'm like, oh, is it that one? Yeah. And they go and look and they're like, no. And then it's so like 10 minutes goes by. I'm thinking like, what the hell is going on here? Someone else comes up to the till. I'm like, yeah. I'm here for an online order uh, for Sam. Here's the order number. Is it that one on the rack? And they go and look and they're like, no, it's not. So I'm like, oh, okay, I guess it's taking a while. 10 minutes later, I ask a third person if it's the chicken on the rack. They check and they're like, oh yeah, here it is. Oh, so that guy had it. Uh, you, now you're on the, you're the guy that was yelling before. Now I'm sympathizing with him. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm on his side. I'm like, this place is a fucking shit show. <laughs> No, I, I ran up to him. I caught up to him. I'm like, look, look, man, I thought you were an asshole, but fuck Drake and his chicken. <laughs> fuck Dave's Hot Chicken. <laughs> you can both agree. Oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> it's called Dave's Hot Chicken. Oh. Drake is investing in it, but... It'll be Drake's Hot Chicken soon, trust me. <laughs> soon enough, yeah. Yeah. He's going to do to that chicken shop what he did to the Toronto Raptors and just slowly <laughs> put himself on the team. <laughs> He's just gonna be in the kitchen, like, yeah, guys, yeah, more hot sauce. Yeah, I'm part of the, I'm part of the organization now. <laughs> You're getting in the way. <laughs> Quit slam dunking thighs into the deep fryer. It's dangerous. <laughs> You're splashing people. <laughs> well, did you find your keys, or is like, are you podcasting from outside your apartment right now? <laughs> You're back at Dave's using their Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm living a day of saw chicken. What's your password? Oh, we don't, we don't know. We don't know our password. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Dave, one, two, three. Yeah. No, I didn't find the keys. I think it's like a $300 replacement fee, of course. Oh, uh, is it a fob and everything? Yeah. Ugh, ref, 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 ref. These landlords. $300 for like a $5 piece of plastic. I know, I know. They should be rounded up and sent to camps and executed. I have a similar situation going on with my Jeep key. Uh, the fob on that, <laughs> like the, all the electrical components are broken and it's like $250 to get a new one. Oh, Jesus. Which isn't a huge issue. The only issue is that if I ever want to lock it, if I unlock it with just the mechanical key, the alarm will go off every single time. Oh. So I either don't lock it, which is always risky because there's an insane amount of theft in my neighborhood, mm. or I lock it and at 7.30 in the morning every day, I wake up everyone in the house and my neighbors with the alarm going off. <laughs> so it's really like... Mm. Sophie's choice. <laughs> maybe I should, I should maybe save up some pennies and get that replaced. But... Uh, the beauty thing is, is that even if I leave it unlocked, I got my, I got that fancy dancy security camera looking at my Jeep all night. And if, if someone comes in range, like if someone comes near my Jeep, I get a notification, like my phone rings and I look and I can see a live recording of what's happening. And uh, I can press a button on my phone and it'll, a siren will go off and scare anyone away. I've, oh, nice. I've done it like three or four times now to people trying to rob me. <laughs> It is pretty funny how fast they turn on their heel and get the hell out of there when I hit the siren button. But I am I've just I'm just waiting for that one day at someone that's just high enough on PCP doesn't give a shit about alarms and I have to go out there and like face this crazy person. And I thought you were gonna say you like press a button and like hounds are released or something. But oh, I wish. <laughs> I know you can buy like um, motion sensored sprinklers mm. that will like fire at the thing setting it off and. Yeah, I'm thinking about getting those for the deer that come into my yard and eat all of our plants anyways. Mm. Maybe I'll just mount one right on my Jeep. Oh, man. Uh, there's one thing I know about homeless people is they hate being wet. 
So uh, true, very true. <laughs> how's comedy been over on your side of the world? Is there uh, have you been doing some shows? Uh, yep, doing some shows. Um, I got a spot on a bringer show on Thursday, or not a bringer show. Like I got the bringer spot on a show. Oh, so that's nice. So you have to bring people. I'm bringing like 13 people, I think. Really? I should be getting a cut. It's crazy that there, that exists in big scenes and big cities. Like, that's not something I've ever seen myself where you're like, you can perform, but you got to bring seven people. Mm. Like, fuck that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, eventually, like, word will get out about how, how much I can murder on stage and then people will be asking. Right, right, right. But for now, I'm new in town. I got to... I got to bribe my way in. Yeah. <laughs> You're new in town, but you know 13 people. Well, they're all Hannah's friends. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, yeah, the pressure's on. You got a crush. Um, we did a roast battle in the Kelowna scene uh, last weekend. Actually did four shows last weekend. So busy, busy. Um, but yeah, the roast battle. I... Uh, I remember it being worse than it was. Someone filmed it and then I watched it and it wasn't as bad as I remember. And I, when I'm talking as bad, I'm talking about my specific roast. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that the jokes weren't great, but the roast was still entertaining. Okay, that's good. That's good. Anyways, that's pretty much all there is to update around here. Uh, what are we talking about today? Let's get into it. Ooh, okay. We're one episode away from our year... Our year. This isn't our year. Is this our 52nd episode? This is 51. This is 51. 51. Okay, 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 okay. Didn't wear my party hat. <laughs> the penultimate, penultimate episode. 52 episodes next time. Damn, son. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. A year of this shit. Yeah. More, well, more than a year at this point, but anyway. Well, yeah, we have about four or five lost episodes and some skipped weeks, but yeah, we're talking... The podcast, there's a year's worth of podcast time on there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Bring me in. Tell me what's up. We do have to get, we have one email to get to. I don't know if you remember, okay. but we had an email from yes. Le Grande. Yeah. I think we can get there today. I think we can get there today. Okay. All right. So, as we have seen, complex societies must balance the liberty of individuals against the interests of the community as a whole. Would you agree? Sorry, what now? Say that again? <laughs> Starting off with a question. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Complex societies must balance the liberty of individuals against the interests of the community as a whole. Would you agree? Would I agree? That we have seen that. Yes. Yeah. 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 I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just go liberty above everything. Yeah. It's chaos. I mean, yeah, that's chaos. You can't just put liberty at the top of the list. of uh, It's more important than fucking everything. Come on now. I mean, there are people who do believe that. They're called libertarians. Well, I call them idiots. Yeah, most people do. <laughs> okay, but, uh, right, so we saw, like, Nietzsche, for example, right? He believed that some individuals are so great and special that their liberty is really all that matters, and they should be allowed to do pretty much whatever they want. And the masses of society, Hitler, Hitler. Uh. yeah, <laughs> and uh, the masses of society only really exist to carry out these grand designs of the Ubermensch, right? And then we saw other people like Rousseau, who believed in a form of direct democracy, where the mystical will or the general will of the masses 
held absolute authority. So these are like two different ends of the spectrum. Nietzsche on the one hand, yeah. if you're a great person, you have total liberty. Rousseau, on the other hand, doesn't matter who you are, you must obey the general will. Okay, but they kind of agree in a sense because Rousseau thought that there were certain people that were the only ones that understood the general will of the people. And those were the ones you had to listen to. So they're kind of saying the same thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Rousseau explicitly said that, but that was definitely sort of like a consequence of his views. Right. That he maybe he knew, maybe he didn't. Because like the general will of the people, every person you ask is going to have a different set of ideals. So what, how do you ever figure out what the general will really is? Yeah, exactly. Like nobody really knows. Unless you do like what we were saying before, where you have to vote on every issue individually as a group. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nobody can really tell what the, no one really knows what the general will is. It's this thing that sort of emerges when everyone's interests cancel each other out. Right. And yeah, so, and so you're, you're exactly right. There is like some sort of similarity. There's like a connection between these two things. And the Nazis really did seem to combine both of these ideas. They combined this idea that the Aryan race, the supermen, could do as they pleased to the subhumans, right? With their Lebensraum, the Holocaust. Yeah. And then on the other hand, Hitler was like the human vessel of the Aryan race's will, or so he, he claimed. So the Nazis sort of combined these two ideas from Nietzsche and Rousseau. Yeah, like the Ubermensch is the one that knows the general will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like the, the father of the people. Yeah. They, they, can, they sort of understand what, what these people really want. They know, supposedly. So, so that sort of covers like the, uh, so we've covered pretty much like the intellectual, cl- and then of course Hegel believing that Germany was this chosen nation to carry out like the next stage of human evolution. Yeah, it's, that's pretty intense, Hegel. Hegel's pretty intense, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, like, those were sort of the intellectual forces that combined to, they sort of combined to create sort of like the intellectual climate of the Nazis, I would say. And so today we're going to look at what seems on, on, on its face to be a much more benign and enlightened doctrine, which is called utilitarianism. But as we look at it, we will see that even this enlightened doctrine places a very low value on individual freedom and interests. Yeah. I mean, I've heard the phrase utilitarianism before. Yeah. And from what I understand, or what I think of when I hear it, is uh, things like the word practicality come into mind and what is the most useful thing to do. Mm -hmm. Not so much focused on feelings, but on real-world practicality. Yeah, that's like a really good point. Especially mentioning like no, not really much interest in feelings because... It's interesting, like utilitarian, the, the principle of utility, according to the utilitarians, is the state of affairs with the greatest balance of happiness over pain is the best. Right. And by happiness, they basically mean pleasure. But at the same time, the people who came up with utilitarianism were like very not emotional and they, they never appealed to emotion as they tried to promote their doctrine to reform British law in the 19th century. They were a very cold scientific bunch. Yeah. When someone is described as a utilitarian, you're not necessarily, your first thought isn't like, oh, I need them at my birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) It's more like I need them to like organize my closet or something. (laughs) 
Yeah, they're very practical. They believe, I, I don't know if I should say, the word sort of has two connotations. There's one connotation where utilitarian means whatever will get the job done, whatever is most useful. Mm-hmm. And then the, like, the philosophical or the political doctrine of utilitarianism is this very specific doctrine that government and laws should all be aimed at promoting the general happiness of the population. Right. The overall happiness of the people. Okay. That's a little bit different than what I thought. Because I would have thought that it would have been like, it doesn't matter what makes the most people happy. It's what is the most efficient way to run a government and society is what matters. Mm. Yeah. Um, I do want to do an episode on that, but I have to buy an expensive book and read it first. But there is like a book about sort of how industrial societies are so complex that they demand like this very efficient uh, way of running things. Yeah. And then on the other hand, that demand for efficiency can lead to like fascism and, and stuff like that that isn't really good for individual people. Right. But anyway, so these utilitarians are, uh, it's true that they're very scientific. They are very reasoned in their approach, but they are all about this one idea, which is laws, policies should all be aimed at promoting the general happiness of the people. So a little background, uh, the, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Again, who's deciding what makes people happy in general besides what is obvious as in everybody food, shelter, and, I don't know, a certain amount of liberties? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a little tricky, and uh, as we get into it, we will see that it's not, it's not so clear. Like, how do you determine what, what is the general happiness? What's going to promote it? Yeah. But uh, basically, they, they're their founder... The OG utilitarian was a lawyer named Jeremy Bentham. And Jeremy Bentham and his utilitarians were known as a group called the Philosophical Radicals. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, they actually did have a huge influence on British policy and legislation throughout the 19th century, particularly in areas of criminal law reform and promoting equality security, abundance, and subsistence. They did not think that promoting liberty was very important. Sorry, what were the, what were the four again? Abundance? Abundance, so of like goods, food, and stuff like that. People shouldn't be going hungry. Yeah. Uh, subsistence, I think that's sort of a similar thing, like uh, being able to survive and have enough things to... Support yourself? Yeah, like keep society running. Right. Security, so like security of individual people, national security. Yeah. And equality among people. Everyone's happiness, everyone's interests count equally. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, Nietzsche hated them, obviously, because they believed in equality. Right. And these sort of mild-mannered things. They were very anti-romantic. Right. Bentham said, like, it's, it's great to read about a storm, but really you want to be in calm weather. You don't want... A crazy life. You want a nice, calm life. That's what Bentham thought. Yeah, I mean, I can see that point. <laughs> Nietzsche wanted everything to be like. Was it Nietzsche? No, it was Rousseau who wanted everything to be like. Explore every emotion to its most deepest depth, no matter what. <laughs> exactly, the sensibility. Yeah, but Bentham was not a was not a cold guy. Uh, he's famous. I think he's famous as. He came. He had this phrase for animal animal rights, where he said, um, or not animal rights, rather, but uh, basically cruelty to animals, where he said the question is not, I forget how it is, but the question is not like can they think, but can they suffer? Right. So I think he coined that phrase. 
Unlike that one guy we were talking about who would like, what was the guy who liked to torture animals? He liked to torture animals. Oh, Descartes. Descartes. Yeah. Yeah. Nailing dogs to trees. <laughs> yeah. Why is this dog crying? <laughs> oh, I see. It's crying because the air is being vigorously pumped through its lungs and through its throat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. why it's crying. <laughs> like, imagine asking him that and him giving you that response. Like, why is it, why is it squealing like that? Oh, because there's air coming through its vocal cords. Uh, <laughs> you don't think it's maybe the nail you put through its neck or something? Yeah. It's like, well, as you can see, I uh, penetrated its body and it sent a <laughs> signal to its brain that says that's not good. And that is being expressed as a contraction in its lungs. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you fucking psycho. He was a, he was a monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, that's Bentham. And Bentham believed, he was a lawyer, and he believed that if you follow two principles, two important principles, you can create a system of laws that would solve this tension between individual liberty and state authority. And so essentially what he thought was that the trick, the, the problem is, is that individual interests don't always align with the community's interests. Right. Right? So sometimes maybe it would be in your interests to steal something because you could get away with it. No one would know. And you can get away with it. And that's good for you. But that's bad for the community as a whole. So how do we get everyone's interests to all be aligned? And <laughs> so Bentham's proposal was based on what he believed was this psychological fact about human beings. And he believed that everyone always pursues what they believe will give them the greatest balance of happiness over pain. Okay. So here's a quote from Bentham. Nature has placed mankind under the governance of two sovereign masters, pain and pleasure. It is for them alone to point out what we ought to do, as well as to determine what we shall do. On the one hand, the standard of right and wrong. On the other, the chain of causes and effects are fastened to their throne. They govern us in all we do, in all we say, in all we think. Every effort we can make to throw off our subjection will serve but to demonstrate and confirm it. The principle of utility recognizes this subjection and assumes it for the foundation of that system, the object of which is to rear the fabric of felicity by the hands of reason and of law. End quote. <laughs> Whew, coming at me with the long, drawn-out, flowerly language again. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> flowerly. I still can't say that word. Um, flowerly. Flowerly. No. Flowery. Yeah. Um, pain and pleasure are the ultimate dictators of what we should and shouldn't do, is essentially what that means. Yeah, which is like that. that is a little incorrect in a sense, because uh, if we're... Like, like can't, if you remember what Kant said, Kant said ought implies can. If you ought to do something, it implies you can do it. Right. But if you are sort of under subjection to only behave in a certain way, then it makes no sense to say what you ought to do because you can't do anything else. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's not super strong logically like that, but I think what he's taking from it is more this, this psychological fact that really all we care about is pain and pleasure. And any moral system you come up with is really, at the end of the day, it's just going to be about moderating pain and pleasure. That's what he thinks. Well, 
what if giving what if causing other people pain brings you pleasure then what <laughs> that's a problem right like how do we deal with that yeah so so this in comes the principle of utility now the principle of utility states that the best state of affairs is the one which has the greatest balance of pleasure over pain so how do you deal with a serial killer who gets pleasure from causing pain to other people well you throw him in jail because his actions contribute to they don't contribute to the greatest balance of pleasure over pain. So you throw them in jail. That's what Bentham would say. Oh, they don't know that. Maybe the pleasure he's experiencing is way greater than the pain he's causing. <laughs> That's how much he likes it, right? So it's a net positive for pleasure overall. Ah, uh, well, you see, the thing is that everyone's pleasure, I'm, I'm trying to, I think I'm speaking for the utilitarians, but I think they would say that, well, everyone's pleasure counts equally. So no matter how great this one guy's pleasure is, it's probably not, greater than the average pleasure added up of everybody else. All right. That's fair enough. And we can count the neurotransmitters if we have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Can we though? Actually, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so basically he thought that, so how do you create this? So what do you do? Like, basically that's how, how you do it. You, the serial killer thinks it's in his interest to go and cause pain to have pleasure. But really... In comes the criminal law, and the criminal law will punish him if he does that. So, because he's rational, he will know that to avoid punishment, he has to obey the law, and then he won't kill as many people. And in that sense, his interests, serial killers' interests, become aligned with the community's interests by this force of law. Right. That's the idea. So the purpose of law for Bentham is deterrence. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, you need the force of law. Yeah. And th this was actually like a big reform at the time. So, so it's in his best interest. His pleasure is actually maximized by following the law, even though he loves killing people. Yeah, because if he kills people, he'll get caught, he'll get locked up, and then he won't get to kill people anymore. And that won't be fun. Yeah, until that sneaky thought goes into his mind, well, what if I just don't get caught? Yeah. <laughs> what if I just don't get caught? Yeah. <laughs> so... I think it's like serial killers are like a special case because I feel like their urge to kill is so great that eventually even deterrence isn't really enough to stop them. But no, from what I have read and watched uh, and on my research on serial killers, <laughs> they, uh, they generally adopt the I'm going to do this till I get caught mentality because they can't function with they need it to be happy they need it to feel anything i bet you i bet you that serial killers don't get much pleasure out of like the simple things in life <laughs> <laughs> i don't think that like a nice cup of tea is gonna be like moving the dial on whether or not they had a good day right yeah i don't think so like if you're into serial killing you're probably gonna need a lot more than like the latest video game to keep yourself entertained yeah uh even uh like those more violent video games. Yeah. Even those probably aren't enough. No. You probably won't even wet the palate. No. <laughs> so Bentham, uh, so he had this, and this was his idea of using law as a deterrent rather than a punishment, was actually a major reform at the time. England at that time had this law, which was the so-called bloody code. And the bloody code had the death penalty for over 200 different crimes. Right including like pickpocketing, petty theft, going bankrupt, being homeless. Like you could be executed for all these things. You'd be executed for being homeless? Yeah, it's called vagrancy. 
You could literally be executed for it. No shit. That is fucking brutal, man. (laughs) (laughs) If you were a soldier and you left the base without permission, executed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but Bentham, he uh, he actually succeeded in reforming not only the death penalty, but also, well, he wanted to do a specific kind of prison reform, but it never happened. He had this crazy, I don't know if it's a crazy idea, but he had this idea for like a, a prison. This is a funny story, actually. So Bentham's friend was a factory designer. Yeah. And his friend showed him a design of a factory where the factory was a circular building with a smaller circular building in the middle. Okay. And all the managers would be in the small building in the middle, and it would allow them to supervise a large number of unskilled laborers all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And so Bentham saw the design and thought, like, whoa, that would make a great prison. And so Bentham's prison was called the Panopticon, and it was like this circular building with a smaller building in the middle. And it was like kind of weird because the surveillance system was such that the prisoners didn't ever know when they were actually being monitored. Yeah. And so they just sort of were always, felt like they were always under surveillance, but not really knowing that they were under surveillance. Yeah. Well, that's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, it's a pretty good, I mean, that's what they do now. You know what? I think that they're in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, I'm pretty sure they all get thrown into prison with that exact design. I could be mistaken. No, I th- I, that's how most prisons are actually designed now. Oh, really? Yeah, and on top of that, he also proposed that to reduce the mortality rate in prisons, which was very high because they literally just dumped every criminal into the same abandoned castle. Like men, women, children, insane murderers, petty criminals, all got dumped together. Ugh. Yeah. And Bentham's proposal said, oh, okay, well, actually, how about we we use the prisoners to like run on wheels to turn mills or like other menial labor and that will generate money and it will cover the cost of the prison. And these are all like things that are actually done today, but no one would do them when he was alive. This guy invented prison labor? Yeah, pretty much. Um, well, okay, well not, he didn't invent like forced labor of prisoners. Obviously that's been going on for as long as humanity's been around. Yeah. But he did invent this idea that you could run a system of prisons that wouldn't, cost the state money. It would run itself like it would generate enough money for itself to run. Right. Which is not how, I don't, that's not what prison labor actually does in like the states. No. Like the prisoners don't generate enough income to run the prison. Like not even close. (laughs) No. Like they're making license plates and shit. Like don't they make money? Like because there's privately owned prisons in the states, they're making money for the people who own the prison. Yes. That's pretty nefarious. I actually don't know how they, I don't know if these, if private prisons are for profit or not. Oh, well, someone's making money off of them. I think some of them are. Some, some of them are. Like, I mean, the prison system in the States is fucked. Like, you literally, you can go into debt from going to prison in the States. Because <laughs> you do have to pay to be in prison sometimes. You got to pay to be in prison. You, you, you literally have to pay to be in prison and people will go into huge debt from not being able to pay their prison bills. It's crazy. Jesus, you put me here. I didn't want to be here. (laughs) Fuck you. You should be paying me. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, uh, and then sort of the last interesting thing about Bentham, I guess, before we get into criticisms of him. He he understood, right? So he had this principle that people always act to maximize their own individual happiness. So what do you do about the legislators, the people who are actually going to be writing the laws of society that are supposed to create this utilitarian society. 
So Bentham thought that to prevent legislators from being selfish, they have to demonstrate three kinds of aptitude, moral aptitude, intellectual aptitude, and active aptitude. So they have to have the moral disposition to promote the general happiness, the intellectual disposition for scientific thinking, yeah, and the active disposition to conscientiously carry out their assigned duties. And so to determine that, you'd make sure that they all have to pass exams, like certain exams. Um, there will be a principle of subordination where every official is subordinate to another official who will punish them for any wrongdoing that they do in their tasks. Complete exposure to legal prosecution for any wrongdoing while in office. And elimination of handing out like uh, cronyism, like handing out jobs or unwarranted titles to people that you like. Yeah. Like, oh, you gave me some money, you got to be the ambassador. Something like that. Right. Complete publicity of all government business and the elimination of all secrecy about government interactions with business and freedom of the press, speech, and association. So pretty solid democratic ideas. Those all, this sound like good ideas, yeah. Yeah, these are really good ideas, and they took hold in England. Of course, nowadays we might say, like, it's a little naive to think that legislators act in the public interest. Yeah. But, I mean, I wonder, like, is there any government that really, like, puts these principles into practice in the modern world? I, I don't think so. I mean, they all probably say they do, but they don't. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think they, they make, try to make a show of it, but they don't really do it in practice. Yeah. But the big objection to utilitarianism is that uh, it makes this assumption that everyone acts to maximize their own happiness and that you can sort of take advantage of that by making laws that will force people to act in the community's interests in order to maximize their own interests. So his whole system sort of depends on the truth of that assumption that people act to maximize their own happiness or pleasure. But is that really true? Are people really that rational? I don't think they do all the time. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? No. And people do always do stuff that doesn't maximize their, their happiness, you know? Because it comes back to that issue of uh, immediate happiness or, you know, long-term sustainable happiness. Those two are often in conflict with each other. Yeah. Right? Like, obviously, an easy example would be things like drug and alcohol abuse. They make you feel good and happy at first, and then, you know, but long-term, they make you feel like shit. So, Mm -hmm. like, people acting to maximize their happiness in the long term? Probably not, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes people act out of, like, desperation, like, um, hunger, or, yeah, like, addiction. Um, Yeah. When they're they're really acting more to, like, avoid pain. Or they just flat out, they act out of uh, the will to make other people unhappy (laughs) (laughs) with total disregard to their own happiness. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, mindless rage. Yeah, vengeance. Yeah. Spitefulness. Like, people don't necessarily, like, I would say most people don't actually act in a way to make them maximize their happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I understand what he's getting at. I don't think that's what humans do uh, consistently enough to like, you know, put in place a form of government that relies on that. Yeah, it's not like an axiom. It's not like some indisputable truth of human nature. Yeah. Yeah. Nietzsche actually 
had a great line for this. He said, man does not pursue happiness. Only the Englishman does that. <laughs> I've, I've always thought that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> wow, talking shit, eh? He, he, meant it, he meant it about Bentham. That was a roast on Bentham. That's hilarious. It's kind of funny because none of, apparently none of these English philosophers, none of these utilitarians ever read like any German philosophy. <laughs> they just didn't read it at all. <laughs> So funny they had beef. They had philosophy beefs back then. Yeah. <laughs> so utilitarianism, uh, it, was, it was sort of like a, at the time anyway, the utilitarians in their day, politically they were very influential on socialism. And so this is going to be the topic of our next episode, but there was a, uh, a guy named David Ricardo, who was a friend of Bentham's, and he proposed something called the labor theory of value which was that the exchange value of a commodity is determined by how much labor was required to produce it. And this was, like a, this was a radical doctrine because if value is determined by labor, then it would seem all rewards should go to the laborers. Right. And the capitalists and the landowners are nothing but extortionists and parasites. Kill them all. Oh, Oh, damn. Sorry. Eat the rich. Eat the rich. Eat the rich. <laughs> eat the rich. <laughs> I don't get the eat the rich thing. Tax them for sure. Tax them. <laughs> you know, if you eat them, you can't tax them, and that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. They're all like, these aren't like cuts of Wagyu beef either. Like, they're, who knows what they're doing with themselves. Yeah. These are not, you don't want to eat these ones. No. <laughs> Very gamey. <laughs> Very gamey. Uh, another contemporary of Bentham, another friend of Bentham, Robert Owen, argued that this is all during the Industrial Revolution. He argued that machinery was displacing labor and laissez-faire economics was killing the working class. But the utilitarians strongly opposed the socialists and their proposals for the redistribution of property. The utilitarians believed that if you abolished property or you redistributed property, you would not promote the general happiness. You would instead cause a total breakdown of society and widespread misery. Wow. And of course, some people disagreed with them and they were called the communists. And we're going to talk about them next week. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard of those guys before. Oh yeah, no, never heard of them. Uh, Are we still talking about Mr. Marx next week? Is that? Yeah, that's, that's the guy for next week, Karl Marx. Oh fuck yeah! Okay, cool. The big, the big year, the year anniversary episode. Yeah, um, should be. Uh, I'm going to read you the email from Lagrande at this moment in time, if that's okay. Oh yeah, let's check it out. Okay, hello TPS podcast. A lot of people are saying that they want to know if there is a modern equivalent of the Lisbon earthquake and its impact on philosophy. Sam had mentioned how this earthquake took place at a time when many prominent philosophers were alive. So beyond the physical impact of the earthquake, it also had an impact on philosophy because many brilliant thinkers were alive at the time to write about it and how it fit with their philosophical viewpoints. Mm. Is this still something that happens today? Did the earthquake in Haiti, the Indian Ocean tsunami, or other major natural disasters result in prominent modern-day philosophers writing about how these disasters relate to their philosophical points of view? Mm. And if so, are these writings influential in modern-day philosophy, (laughs) either in academia or otherwise? (laughs) In the way that this 
<laughs> in the way that is appears, the Lisbon earthquake and its aftermath strongly influenced the intelligentsia of the European Age of Enlightenment. Mm, nice. Source that from the almighty Wikipedia. <laughs> the people are saying Strauss could probably answer this off the top of his head, but Sam's insights are welcome too. I think that was a uh, sarcastic <laughs> sentence there. Signed, Lagrande. I don't appreciate that sarcasm. Um, so. Oh, man. Who are all these people? The first thing that pops to the, the top of my head is... Uh, it's not, I mean, could you, could, would you consider this pandemic a natural disaster without getting into whether it was made in a lab or whatnot? <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, I don't know if there are any prominent modern philosophers anymore. Yeah. Well, maybe you don't know how prominent they are because it takes time mm. before people realize how important certain figures are in society. Yeah. I mean, uh, the comedian T.J. Miller. He said comedians are the modern day philosophers, but I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> uh, that's giving comedians way, way too, too much, much credit. credit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I would say that the coronavirus pandemic is definitely on a scale, on a much greater scale than the Lisbon earthquake. Yeah. And you can clearly see that some people, when it comes to, for example... Like this question again of liberty versus state authority, like what justifies state authority from overriding individual liberty? Yes. We have this whole thing where lots and lots of individual people say that the government does not have the authority to compel them to be vaccinated. Yeah. And so this is, this is a big question. How do you balance the interests of the community against the interests of the individual in this case? And it's weird. It's, I, I often think about if the, uh, because people will say there's no circumstances where the government should be able to tell me what to put in my body. But say, hypothetically, if we have another pandemic where there is a vaccine available, but this time the virus has a only a 50% survival rate. At that point, would it be justifiable for the government to force people to get vaccinated? Or no, still at that point. How bad does it have to get before liberty? Your, your freedoms are, you know, secondary to the survival of the species. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to, like, come up with just, like, a number value, like 1%, 2%, 50%. Yeah, like, at, at what point does it become... Because if, you, if there is no point, then you're just out of your mind, right? You're out of your goddamn mind if you're saying there's absolutely no circumstance where something like a vaccine passport should be justified. Yeah. Even if it saves the species from extinction. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, there comes a point where it's literally insane to, to deny that. Yeah. So if there is a point where you would agree that a vaccine passport is a good idea, so you're putting literally like a value on how many people are worth dying before it becomes something that you would back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. That, is. that is a good point, right? Like how many people sort of have to die before the community's interests outweigh your interests on this matter. Yeah. That's a good point. And of course, you'll always have the outliers that are like out of their goddamn mind. But I don't, I'm not the type of person that thinks everyone that's opposed to the vaccine mandate or, or that type of thing are crazy. I just think that they have, they have an arbitrary line drawn somewhere where they, at some point, things would have to be bad enough for them to change their mind. It might not be caused by this pandemic, but 
there hypothetically has to be a number of people dying where most sane people would be like, okay, the government needs to step in and make sure everybody gets this this thing that will prevent this from going on and killing everyone. Yeah. Yeah, so I can't think of many philosophers, honestly, who would take up the anti-vax position. The arguments that I've seen from the anti-vax position are mainly, like, they don't, uh, what are they? Yeah, they're either that, like, they're either this, like, uh, this, like, not very well thought through, like, it's my body, I don't have to do anything, which really isn't, like, like, you've eloquently put it, like, that is not really a valid argument at all. No. Because eventually, your body doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> like, the rest of the community is more important than your body, sadly. And the vaccine isn't going to kill you either. Yeah. The anti-vax arguments that I hear a lot are it's not, it's not enough long-term data, mm-hmm. which in any other circumstance, I would say, yeah, we should probably wait and like get more data on the effects of these vaccines long-term. But uh, like, are people forgetting that we're in extraordinary circumstances right now and that you can't always wait the five years or whatever the regular <laughs> amount of time is before things are approved when there's, you know potentially millions of people that could be dying in that time? Or do you say, I'm willing to take the risk based on the data we have now? But yeah, I don't know if this is the, uh, the, <laughs> the conversation Legrande hoped that this uh, email would, would ignite. No, no I think, I think we've, we've addressed it. I think the, the problem is, is that you're not going to be able to find a philosopher who has an anti-vax position on this. Yeah. And if you do know a philosopher who has an anti-vax position on this, on philosophical like liberty grounds, I would love to hear it because it must be a pretty interesting argument. Yeah. But you're not going to really, I don't think you're going to find a philosopher who says that like your individual liberty is so important that you don't have to get a vaccine, even though depending on your country, hundreds of thousands of people could die. I don't, I don't think you're going to find a philosopher who can defend that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where if they're, <laughs> Like, if there wasn't a pandemic going on and the government's like, hey, we got this crazy thing we should, we want to put in your body, uh, you should take it Mm -hmm. or else you're not going to be able to go to bars. It's like, okay, but obviously then you'd be like, what the, no, that's, that's, that's (laughs) ridiculous. But there's so many people dying. There's so many, the healthcare system is so overwhelmed in a lot of places, although lots of people still deny that that's actually true. Yeah, that's the, that's the problem. A lot of the it's like, what will it take before it is bad enough for you to like it, th- this idea that there's no circumstances where this is justified is complete bullshit in my mind. Yeah, it's it's a very very selfish position, and not really holding with the this idea of like the reason you're part of this community is so that you can enjoy its protection and benefits. Yeah. And if you are in this community and you are actually endangering the community as a whole, then you're not holding up your end of the bargain about being in this community. Right. So it's very, very selfish, very not very well thought through um, action. The utilitarians might point out that these people are just doing this to maximize their own happiness for some reason. I don't know if that is like an explanation of why they're opposed to it. I think, I don't know why they're opposed to it really. It seems to be like psychological, maybe, rather than philosophical. Because the philosophical arguments are really weak. Why people are opposed to the vaccine? Yeah, like, the, it's my body, like, you can't do anything. Like, that's not really a philosophical argument. 
I mean, that's what I'm saying about this. Like people often quote like, oh, it's got a 99, a 99% survival rate. And it's like, hey, but that 1% that's not surviving is enough to fuck our entire healthcare system over. And then it's like the question like, okay, would a 90, at what percentage survival rate does it become fuck your liberties? You got to take this. Is it, is it 95? Is it 90? Because if this thing had a 30% survival rate, we wouldn't be hearing any of this shit. Oh, no, no way. Uh, society would have collapsed. <laughs> yeah. Or would it be, would it have been more like, would it have been better if there was only like a 75% survival rate? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> then you wouldn't have so many people opposed to the solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's like another, another thing that actually has like philosophical disagreements about it. Cause COVID, I think rational people have their minds made up. Well, the, the only other thing, like a modern, a modern, uh, like a modern natural disaster that will be, will have the global scale is global climate change. Right. Yeah. I guess like there's, well, like the Lisbon earthquake wasn't a global catastrophe. It was a local event, but hmm, I guess like the stuff about going to space, like going to Mars, People, I think, are maybe a little divided on that. There's one camp where that seems to think we need to expand into space and settle other planets. And then there's another camp that seems to think we, we don't need to do that. In fact, what we should be doing is focusing on living sustainably on Earth. And so I feel like that is like a source of actual tension. Yeah. And, and, and then there's the other camp that is like the solutions to our problems on Earth can be found out there is another way of looking at it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, theoretically, there's infinite resources out there. And uh, if resources are the the solution to our problems. (laughs) (laughs) Infinite expansion requires infinite resources. (laughs) Say, hypothetically, if we stopped using or mining the earth for fossil fuels, for example, and we only mined asteroids for fossil fuels. Oh. I guess you wouldn't have fossil fuels because there's nothing no, living yeah, on asteroids. Yeah, no dinosaurs on those. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dumb. You dumb. Maybe Mars had a lot of had a lot of like plankton on it at some <laughs> point. We can go find oil there. Yeah, here's what we do. We go to Mars, we find the oil on Mars, and we Ship it back to Earth. Yeah. Um, and burn it on Earth. <laughs> yeah, we, we build a giant pipeline. Build a giant pipeline and burn even more <laughs> on Earth. <laughs> mm, where did all the Martians go? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. See, this is, what, this is why I'm not... <laughs> this is why people don't ask me uh, what I think about these things. <laughs> okay, well, that's our episode for this week. I think I progressively got dumber throughout that one. <laughs> But uh, next week, episode 52. So that's exciting. Um, we got Karl Marx coming your way. And then uh, I don't know what your plan is after that, Sam, but we do have our anonymous listener hoping that we can discuss Jordan Peterson, who some might consider a, uh, a prominent modern philosopher. Yeah, I think he would be a good one because he's had a lot to say about, about Marxism. So we can see you like... Uh... We we can do we can talk about him we can talk about uh, his views we we can follow up yeah check it out yeah I I mean yeah I I'm not I'm not to, I'm not opposed to anything because I don't plan this Man, stuff I'm, it's all on you I'm in the same city as him 
I am merely the man buying the ticket for the ride. <laughs> oh, right. You, why don't you get him on the podcast, man? Why don't you go knock on his door and say, hey, we got about 45 <laughs> listeners. <laughs> we have more than we have more listeners than that. There's more than that. Well, that's good to know. That's all of our time, folks. Um, 50 listeners that are listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can write in to us at tpspodcast420 at gmail.com. Anything else to add, Sam? Um, see you next week, comrades. <laughs>